Well, for a whole year, A.J. Jacobs tried to keep every rule that he could find in the Bible. And then he wrote uh, this book called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. He describes uh, in the introduction to this book his, uh, his great efforts to grow a beard. Uh, this is what he wrote. I battled itch and heat. I spent a week's salary on balms, powders, ointments, and conditioners. My beard has been a temporary home to cappuccino foam and lentil soup. And it's upset people. Thus far, two little girls have burst into tears. And one boy is hidden behind his mother. But I mean no harm. The facial hair is simply the most noticeable physical manifestation of a spiritual journey I began a year ago. My quest has been this, to live the ultimate biblical life. Or more precisely, to follow the Bible as literally as possible, to obey the Ten Commandments, to be fruitful and multiply, to love my neighbor, to tithe my income, but also to abide by the oft-neglected rules, to avoid wearing clothes made of mixed fibers, and naturally, to leave the edges of my beard unshaven. I'm trying to obey the entire Bible without picking and choosing. Uh, This book uh, describes a very weird year in the life of a man called A.J. Jacobs as he tries uh, to demonstrate in an amusing kind of way how silly and impractical it would be to try to obey every rule or law that the Bible contains. Now, I wonder how you would respond to A.J. Jacobs if you met him. Where exactly did he go wrong? Or should we all start following his example? The Ten Commandments, which were read for us just a few moments ago, are joined by 603 other commands or laws in the Old Testament. What role do all of these play in the life of the Christian today? I've had a couple of people ask me about this in just the last few weeks, someone about the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath. Should we keep the Sabbath? (laughs) What are we supposed to do uh, with all these laws? Uh, maybe you're not a Christian uh, here uh, this morning or, or watching from home. And hearing all this kind of confirms perhaps some of your worst suspicions about God. That really he's just interested in getting you to keep a whole set of laws. A bit like a boss who makes unreasonable demands of their employees. You see, what we're exploring this morning matters because it takes us to questions of what God is really like, his character, and what sort of relationship with us he wants. So what we're going to do this morning is, first of all, we're going to see why A.J. Jacobs, uh, where he went wrong. And then we'll look at three big reasons why the law still matters for us today. First, uh, where did this guy go wrong? Well, uh, think about some of the things that you've read this week. Uh, Even if you're not a reader, you will have read lots of things uh, this week, I'm sure. Perhaps you've read the news. Uh, Maybe you've uh, read a bit of a novel. Uh, If you drove here this morning, uh, chances are you probably read a road sign on the way here. If you've done some uh, cooking at home, you may well have read a recipe. Now, we all know that we read these things uh, differently. Let's just compare for a moment the recipe and the road sign. A recipe is basically good advice, isn't it? Um, It's um, uh, take these steps and you'll probably have something yummy at the end of it. 
but you sometimes have to adapt a recipe. Maybe you haven't got a particular ingredient or a particular piece of equipment that they suggest that you use. And that's okay. You're not going to get into trouble for adapting a recipe. But now think of the road sign. If you're driving along and you see a road sign that says, give way, well, you know that that's a law and it applies to you now. And if you ignore it, you may very well get in trouble for doing so. We read things differently and we apply them to our lives differently. And the same should be true of how we read the 66 books that make up the Bible. We should read them thoughtfully and apply them differently. And this is where A.J. Jacobs went wrong. He simply read the Bible like a book of rules and applied them to his life in a blanket way, something the Bible itself never suggests that we should do. And the result was that he had a very bizarre year and a big bushy beard as well. Thankfully, we needn't do the same. When we read the book of Exodus, it's more like reading the news than a novel Because this isn't a made-up story, it's an historical account of how God related to his people at a specific point in time. But when it comes to how we should apply these laws, well, you can't push this too far, but they're a bit more like a recipe than a road sign. That is, they show us something good and we'll often do well to obey them, but at other times we'll have to think a little bit more carefully about how exactly they should guide the way that we live today. And this isn't cherry picking, picking and choosing the laws that we kind of want to obey and those that we don't. No, it's just a case of understanding what sort of thing it is that we're reading. The laws of Exodus are part of what we call the old covenant. It was part of the agreement by which God related to his people at a particular time. That's what a covenant is. It's a solemn agreement between two parties. And in Exodus 24, that covenant was confirmed between God and the people. That's what we heard read a few minutes ago. But we live today after the time of Jesus, who, you'll remember at the Last Supper, raised a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews said, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Now, obsolete is a strong word, isn't it? The old covenant is over. We relate to God on new terms based not on law, but on grace. That is based not on our obedience, but on Jesus' obedience on our behalf. And that's why we don't directly apply the laws of the Old Testament to ourselves as its first readers would have been right to do. But neither do we throw it out. Don't go home and tear these pages out of your Bible. Oh, the vicar said they're obsolete. Don't do that in the church Bibles either, thank you very much. But more importantly, let let me give you three reasons why we don't want to do that. Three reasons why the law still matters today. And firstly, it reveals God's will which is good. And some married friends of mine got together very quickly. They met, uh, started dating, got engaged and got married all within, I think, about seven months. And the wife once told me that on the first morning of their honeymoon, she looked over at her husband sleeping in the bed next to her and thought, I barely know this man. (laughs) Now, it's all worked out fine. Um, I think they've been married for about 30 years now. They're very happily uh, married. But 
in those early days, there was still a lot of getting to know each other that they needed to do. Now, at this point in Exodus, Israel are, bear with me, in a kind of similar situation. They've just gone through this whirlwind rescue from Egypt, swept off their feet by God. But now they're all alone with the Lord in the desert and perhaps realizing we barely know this God. What's he like? And God wants to fill that gap in their understanding. We're seeing through Exodus that God is the ruler who rescues for... Yeah, I'm hoping you've got that by now. I've said it enough times. Ruler who rescues for relationship. Well done. Well, now that he's rescued them, he wants to go about building a new relationship with his people. Through the law, the people get to know their God by seeing what he's for and what he's against. What's more, they've just got away from Pharaoh, a terrible tyrant. And perhaps they're wondering, how will God compare? And the Ten Commandments begin to reveal to them that God's will is very good. Under Pharaoh, human rulers have complete authority and power over others. But under God's rule, the first commandment prevents people claiming total power because you shall have no other gods before me. Under Pharaoh, the Israelites were exploited as he made them work harder and harder to produce more and more. But under God, the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath sets limits on work and tells the people to rest. Under Pharaoh, the weak are vulnerable to violence, even state-sponsored genocide. But under the sixth commandment of God, you shall not murder. Well, there's an insistence on respect for all human life. Under Pharaoh, the weak are vulnerable to economic exploitation. But under God, they're protected from the greed of the powerful by the commandments not to steal or to covet. Under Pharaoh, they have no effective legal protection. But under God, the ninth commandment, not to bear false witness, upholds and safeguards the integrity of the legal system. Now, we can easily think, I think we naturally think of laws as restrictive things, things that stop us doing stuff. But without them is anarchy, which is terrifying for the weak. But good laws give humanity the space in which to flourish. And to former slaves who had known the rule of Pharaoh, well, these commandments would have sounded like freedom and peace after centuries of tyrannical oppression. The law reveals God's will and his will for us is a very good thing. Now, as we move from the 10 commandments in chapter 20 through into chapters 21 to 23, basically we get a load of case law, worked examples of how to behave in particular situations. And at first glance, they look pretty irrelevant to us today. Now, hopefully if you've got your Bible still open, uh, look at Exodus 21 and verse 28. Let me give you an example of this. Chapter 21, verse 28 says this. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had a habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. Now, just hands up here if anyone has a bull that has a habit of goring people. No, I'm glad to hear it. So irrelevant to us, is it? Well, no, it might seem so, but it's not because it's expressing something timeless. It tells us, first of all, that accidents happen. 
And that's tragic, but sometimes there's no one to blame. And we shouldn't insist on punishing someone for something that really isn't actually their fault. But where a danger can be anticipated, I should take steps to avoid others from getting hurt. And I should be punished if someone else suffers because I fail to do that as a result of my negligence. And now those are good principles when you think it through. Those are principles that actually are applied every day in courts right across our land. They're solid principles. Now you see the specific context might not apply, but the principles do apply because, hey, God hasn't changed. He didn't make up one set of rules then and say, well, I've changed my mind now. I've got another set of, you know, he hasn't changed. The situation may have. And so the law continues to reveal God's will, which is good. Now, there are some laws that are purely symbolic. We haven't got time to go through them uh, this morning, but there are some laws that are purely symbolic. There's no principle behind them that we can apply today, but they show us something about God and his good intentions for the world that he wants to model symbolically among his people. That makes sense of some of those laws that leave us scratching our heads. But apart from those symbolic laws, it's usually actually pretty straightforward to work out what the principle is and how it might be applied today. And of course, Jesus actually summarizes the whole of the law very simply like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The law reveals God's will for us to love him and to love each other. He is a good God. His rule is just and kind. Now, the second reason that the law matters today is this. It exposes our sin. Um, I heard of a guy recently who, I can't quite remember where I heard of this, in what context, but he has a, a rather unusual habit when he goes to work out um, at the gym. Now, you know you, in gyms you often get walls that are covered in mirrors, floor to ceiling, so that you can see yourself as you're uh, working out. Well, um, he takes, uh, along with his water bottle, he takes a picture um, that he sticks on the mirror. Um, it's this. So this is Daniel Craig playing James Bond, emerging from the water, built like a tank, muscles everywhere. And every guy in the room just feels that little bit worse about himself when you see a picture like that. Uh, But he looks at Daniel Craig there on the mirror, and then he looks just next to it at his reflection of himself. And it helps him to see how far short he falls of the Daniel Craig standard. (laughs) Now look, in a similar way, When we hold up God's good law side by side with an honest assessment of ourselves, it shows how far short we fall. That that shouldn't make us, in a spiritual sense, start working out all the harder, but it should show us how hopelessly, irredeemably weak we really are. Romans chapter 3 puts it like this. It says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not that we don't keep all the Ten Commandments because, hey, no one's perfect. It's that we don't keep any of them. Let me give you three examples if you doubt that to be true of yourself. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. How many times have I made something more important to me than God. 
will love myself more than I love him. How about you? The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The principle that stands behind that is we shouldn't work as if we determine our futures and it all depends on us. But how many times have I done exactly that? Looking to myself and my efforts for my identity and security. How about you? The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Well, there's no one buried in the vicarage garden, you'll be pleased to hear. I've not done that. But Jesus explained that the principle behind this command when he said, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister has committed murder in his heart. How many times have I harbored angry thoughts about someone or wished them ill? How about you, if you're honest? The law exposes our sin. I mentioned there are hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Well, if you look at the way that they're delivered through the story of the Bible, this is how it happens. They're given a set of laws, then they break them. And then they're given another set of laws, and once again, they break them. And they're given a whole other bunch of laws, and you guessed it, they break them. And that's the pattern right through the Old Testament. And the thing that should teach us is that however many laws we get, And however many chances we get, we cannot keep God's law. We're continually bent away from God and towards our own destruction. When Rebecca and I were first married, we uh, owned a little Nissan Micra. It's not something I'm proud of, but I'm being honest with you this morning. Um, It was Rebecca's car. I just inherited it. Anyway, we had this uh, Nissan Micra. And among um, the various negatives about this car was the steering which always steered a little to the left. And so just to keep going in a straight line, you had to pull down to the right a bit. We we both got sore right shoulders because on long drives, we were constantly pulling to the right just to keep the thing going in a straight line. Now, there was one little bit on the M1 northbound where this worked quite well because there was a long, slow left bend. You could just take your hand off the wheel and it worked really nicely. But anywhere else, you'd find yourself in a ditch in a moment. Our hearts are continually bent away from God and towards our own destruction. God's law is good because it gives us a realistic assessment of ourselves by exposing our sin. But we're not left without hope. And this takes us to the third reason why the law still matters today. It points us to Jesus. Over the last 10 years or so, I've slowly got more and more into a bit of DIY. I now enjoy a little bit of DIY. It started very uh, small stuff, um, you know, putting a a picture frame on the wall. It slowly grew to, uh, you know, slightly more complex things like putting up a a set of shelves or a a TV bracket on the wall. Um, Then uh, a little more advanced still, I started building a few things out of wood and, and a frames and things like that. You know, I'm not an expert, but you know, I like to dabble and then I like to tell everyone how well I've done. Um, Some of you will know that's true. It's sad. But one of the things I've realized is key to DIY is knowing when not to DIY. That is when not to do it yourself. Before we moved into our current house, there was a supporting wall that needed to be knocked through and a lintel put in to hold up uh, the wall above. Now, I knew that that was a job too big for me to do. I needed someone else to come in to do it for me. 
The law shows us we need Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Keeping God's law is a task so clearly beyond us that it should turn us to one who can do it on our behalf. And Jesus is that person because he's the one person who has kept the law perfectly. He lived a life of perfect love towards God and neighbor, a life of captivating beauty. It shines through as you read of him in the gospels and the way that he treated people. He loved and protected the weak. He challenged the proud. He provided for the poor. He comforted the grieving and spoke tenderly to those who were suffering. He healed the sick. Where other men objectified women, committing adultery in their hearts, he saw and loved them for who they were and defended them from attack. Even when his enemies nailed him to a cross, he wasn't filled with hatred and bitterness, but rather he prayed, Father, forgive them. We could go on and on giving examples like that from the life of Jesus. His life was perfect, not just in some outward conformity to the law, but also the inward attitude of his heart. He was good in the deepest, fullest sense of that word. And it's why so many were drawn to him, why so many still are today. The law points us to Jesus because he is the one person whose life, when compared with God's will, is not found wanting. If we had time to go through Exodus 21 to 23 slowly, we'd see that the law consistently demands the need for punishment and restitution. That is making amends. When someone knowingly does something wrong, they should be punished for that crime, but they should also seek to make it right. Punishment and restitution. Well, Jesus fulfills the law because he was punished on our behalf when he died on the cross. And he made restitution for us because he lived a perfect life that we couldn't. And when we became followers of Jesus... He didn't just take our sinful record upon himself. He gave us his perfect record in exchange. He perfectly fulfills the law. And anyone who trusts in him is united with him by faith. He died that death and he lived that life on our behalf. I think part of growing up is learning to do a bit of DIY. But part of growing up as a Christian is learning a bit of DDIY. Don't do it yourself. I remember in November 2008, waking up at what I think was a silly hour. I think it was like 2 or 3 a.m. and turned on the TV to see Barack Obama had been elected as the next president of the United States. And he gave that now very famous victory speech in which he spoke of all he wanted the American people to achieve during his presidency. And he rallied the crowd and after each new declaration, he would get them to say, yes, we can. And he'd talk a bit more about what he wants to do. And yes, we can. The crowd would come back. Well, that same spirit was alive and well in Exodus 24, when Moses told the people God's laws. Look just down at chapter 24, verse 3. 
When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Yes, we can. And then again in verse seven, have a look. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Yes, we can. But what God's people quickly learned and learned it again and again and again through the centuries that followed was that no, they couldn't. No matter how hard they try. So friends, don't make the same mistake. D-D-I-Y. Because you can't. Let God's law point you to Jesus, the perfect man. The perfect death. The perfect life on your behalf. He's the one you and I need. Maybe you've tried really hard this week to be a good mum. But at some point, you've massively stuffed up. Maybe at many points and you feel defeated. Or maybe you've looked at pornography this week. And you hide a deep sense of shame for having failed so many times. Or you've been feeling anger towards someone. And however hard you try, you can't stop yourself sliding back into nasty thoughts about them. Or maybe you're full of envy and discontentment. You, you don't like your life at the moment, if you're honest. And you look at others who have things that you want and you feel jealous of them. When you compare yourself honestly to God's law or to Jesus, the perfect embodiment of his law, you fall hopelessly short. Acknowledge that. Don't resist it. Own it. And then turn to Jesus. Read of his life in the Gospels. Every act of love, every act of obedience, every right word he spoke, he did that for you. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, God places you in Jesus. And all those things are credited to you. So every time you break God's law, Remember this, Jesus kept that law for you. Say to yourself, the law that I've just broken, Jesus kept on my behalf. Every time you fail to do God's will, remember this, Jesus perfectly obeyed God's will for you. God treated Jesus as you deserve, so he could treat you as Jesus deserves. And now the verdict he writes across your life is that which he once spoke over Jesus himself. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The law matters to us today, friends, because it reveals what God's will is, which is good. It exposes our sin. We fall hopelessly short of God's standards, but it also points us to Jesus, who has perfectly kept the law and so done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so because of the law, our love for God should grow. Our hearts should be humbled. And we should run to Jesus, in whom all the law is perfectly fulfilled on our behalf. Let's pray.
Our Father God, we thank you that the gospel gives us the ability to look at ourselves honestly and be real about what we see. But we thank you that in Jesus, we have an answer to our great failure. And that is his great fulfillment of the law on our behalf. And so we thank you for him. We pray that in all the things that we face in the week to come, every time we're confronted with our own weakness and failure, you would fill our spiritual sights with Jesus, the one who is perfectly obedient, who is completely strong where we are weak, and cause us to rejoice all the more as we see that in him, not only are our sins removed, but his perfect righteousness is credited to us. And so thank you that we can go from here this morning knowing that we are your children, that we are loved because we are kept safe in our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.